Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jesús, el lanzamiento de Gabriel, ¡qué golazo! ¡Qué maravilla de Gabriel Jesús! Impresionante chicharro del ex del Manchester City para decirle a su afición, para decirle al Emirates, esta es mi nueva casa. Vaya primer golazo de Gabriel Jesús. Obra de arte. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm feeling good, feeling happy with the world. Well, not the world, the Arsenal world, I should say. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. And the Manchester the United world as well, it's M- worth saying. My goodness. I don't think in the history of doing this podcast... However many years it has been uh, since we did the first one, I don't think there's ever been as many questions or tweets about another team's result or performance than there has been for this weekend. People mm-hmm. looking for the hashtag 10 hag out tweets. Um, <laughs> all of it. Like, it's it's unbelievable. I understand it. I completely understand it. Um and I also I, laughed a lot yesterday at, at what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I've sort of been just writing about that this morning, but I think it's, you know, a lot of it is schadenfreude and just sort of pure delight. But it's also got to be relief as well, I think, for many Arsenal fans that at the start of the season, we are not the butt of the Premier League's joke. <laughs> And because you know, yeah, we were there. We were there. Yeah, last we year. were there. I mean, and the twelve just twelve months ago, we were at Brentford with everyone dancing on our graves. Um, very different post-match demeanour. I know. Yeah, you know Neville what? I, I I was I was wondering because I had to go out yesterday, not long after yeah. our game finished, and you know, I saw the Manche- the first half of the Manchester United game, which was obviously the most hilarious half. But I I, I came back home last night. and I said, you know what? I'll do. I'll put on Sky uh, Sports website or click onto their Twitter because I really do want to see the pictures uh, of Gary Neville dancing with the Brentford fans. Mm. Like yeah, they like must he have did cut away time. from that. I they don't know. Must have. I, I didn't see it during I, an ad break yeah. potentially or some shots of that's a shame. David De Gea looking sad or child Manchester United fans crying they must have just cut away <laughs> they must have from Gary's I can think jig. of no other explanation for yeah, why there was no pictures of that yeah. shame though I would have mm. liked to have seen it but yeah I think you know you look at United and it all feels quite familiar I think as an Arsenal fan I agree 
there's so many traits in even in that performance you know the inability to play out from the back or the kind of overpaid underperforming players the lack of unity we recognize it all mm. and it's lovely this morning to sit back and think look at where we are look at where they are and of course it can all change we play them in a few weeks time but right now the mood mm. In those two clubs, couldn't be different, uh, more different, rather. No, I agree. And look, we know from experience that you know uh, it's a difficult thing to go through, and the start of the season doesn't necessarily um, guarantee that your season is going to turn out badly. You know, as we showed last season, we turned things around. But I do think there is something. Um, you know, you have to live in the moment a little bit. You've got to, and so we can say, you know what, he might get things together at Manchester United, Eric Ten Hag, and he might start to, you know, fashion a team that looks like it knows how to play football at a league, uh, level above Sunday League, right? But for yeah. now, oh, we've got it. Now we, it's we, just uh, brilliant. It's just ha-ha-ha, you cunts. You fucking cunts. Ha-ha, and just ha-ha again. A lot of that. And, you know... I, I think I have to just enjoy it and and look they they could turn it around they probably will turn it around but you know what's what's slightly different is the fact that this time last year we were a little bit further down the road of putting in place a plan and a strategy to turn things around and I don't know that that's necessarily present yet at Manchester United they've got a good manager a guy with a good track record. But in terms of planning, in terms of strategy, in terms of, you know, people at the football club who understand football, I don't know that they've got too many of those, which is, no, which is I think that's very it, funny yeah. as well. And if you look at that transfer business they've done, I think that is reflected. I, I think most Arsenal fans at this early stage are kind of over the missing out on Lissandro Martinez thing, though. I think people are... <laughs> largely okay with that. Well, you know what? You reported this, I think, that when we were pursuing him, it was to play in the left-back role, which is genuinely, you know, where you should play a guy who's five foot eight or five foot nine, whatever he is, and not at the centre of defence when, you know, Ben Mee can just stand there and just go, doink with a little mm-hmm. header. Um, I think his his physical limitations are being exposed at centre-half. Then again, I do have some sympathy when you're at a new club, in a new country, a new league, and you have to play beside Harry Maguire. I mean, I don't sure. think that's I don't think that's fair, really. But no, as much as I'm enjoying it, I, I feel like that's probably uh, in contravention of the uh, Geneva Convention. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. There are some good memes, though. Good, there are some good memes. Yeah, there are, there are. The but look, I think that is quite enough about that. Far, mm. far, far too much. Uh, well, not far too much. Maybe we'll laugh at them again in a little while. But I think we do need to move on and, and talk about what was a really excellent day at the Emirates Stadium. 4-2 win over Leicester. I said this to you yesterday. I said it on the blog this morning. I think the four doesn't necessarily do us justice. And I think Mm -hmm. the two slightly flatters Leicester, Um, you know, who are a good side, as we know. But, you know, on the basis of the game and the way we performed and the way that we played and how that performance makes me feel, you know, I don't think the scoreline is quite there. I mean, can I ask you just sort of before we go into the specifics of everything, um, you know, we referenced this time last year, and I know how I felt. I felt quite downhearted and uh, disenchanted and and worried. And 
obviously this is different, but I feel really excited about what this Arsenal team is becoming before our eyes with the bits that we've added and everything else. And, you know, I'm not taking anything for granted. We have a long way to go and there are going to be ups, there are going to be downs. Of course there are. But I looked at that performance yesterday, not just the goals and not just the way we reacted to certain scenarios, but the way this team played football, it's kind of what we've been looking for for a long time, isn't it? The the interplay, the movement, the attacking intent, the positivity, the aggression, all of those things that we wondered if we were ever going to get when we, we had discussions on this podcast about what what does Mikel Arteta want? What, what kind of football does he want to play? What kind of Arsenal team does he want to fashion? And I think this is the answer, and I fucking like it. Yeah, I mean, I think the headline on your blog this morning was, I love it when a plan comes together. Mm. And that is what it feels like right now, that he has, you know, it's, it's kind of been maybe even an excuse that sometimes people have offered on Arteta's behalf that he hasn't necessarily had all the tools at his disposal to play the football he wanted. Mm. But that... I don't think you could say that anymore after the transfer windows we've had and the players we've brought in. And looking through that team yesterday, you know, 1-11, to I think they can all play Arteta's idea of football. Mm. And they they did. And I agree with you about the scoreline. I think we could have had more than four. I think they probably should have had less than two. But, you know, there haven't been many times in recent seasons that we've gone out and put four past the team. So the fact that yeah. we're sitting here this morning reflecting on it and saying, well, it perhaps could and should have been more, is fantastic. And I thoroughly enjoyed the game. It was not perfect, of course. There are blemishes. But, yeah, I found myself looking through that lineup and thinking, these are all the manager's guys and they can all do mm. what he demands of them. And perhaps more, even more interestingly than that, there seems to be a chemistry between them on yeah. the field. We yeah. know about off the field. We know it's a good group. We know they get on. But on the pitch, that is really beginning to translate. And, you know, I, I feel like early in Arteta's reign, people talked about rigidity. You know, the rigidity of the roles. There's such clear instructions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see the shape. But now the degree of improvisation and freedom within that system is greater. It's like they've got more authority autonomy within it to make choices and they're intelligent enough mm. to do so so yeah i found it really exciting look I, we've got some players who are developing at a pace and i think gabriel martinelli is one of them um bakayo saka we know martin odegaard as well to to an extent i think he's yet to find his his fully best form this season of course it is only two games etc etc um you know i think there are players in this team who are really going places but have you ever known someone to come into a team and settle in and gel so quickly with everyone around him like Gabriel Jesus? Because, you know, he was disappointed, obviously, not to get his hat-trick yesterday. So sadly for him, on his home debut for Arsenal in red and white, he's going to have to be satisfied with just the two goals and just the two assists. I know and it's that will be a black mark that hangs yeah, over him, Andrew. It's a meager, you know? it's a meager return, and goddamn, uh, you know. But look, he has had such a transformative effect on this team, not just for what he brings, but how he 
meshes with those around him and you know some of the some of the play around the box with Odegaard with Martinelli with Saka um you know even some of the stuff he did individually that turn on Johnny Evans for example where it was a a long pass from Aaron Ramsdale he headed it up in the air chested it down backed into Evans turned him and was going to score bar a really really good last ditch tackle from Indeedy I think it was Indeed, it was. Indeed, it was. Um, uh, you know that yeah, kind of. Yeah, that would have been. Better, oh, right? I mean, what Ramsdale a... was actually on his knees at that point. Oh, was well, he? He thought he had the assist. <laughs> I mean, it was a great kick, but like there was still plenty of work for for Gabriel Jesus to do. But what I mean, you know, this guy has. I don't know how to explain the effect he's had on the team, other than it's just overwhelmingly positive in all kinds of ways. Yeah, he's been a catalyst, you know, and yeah, great word. Everything seems to click with him, and, and I know this is sort of the, maybe the less interesting part of it, but I cannot tell you how much what we're seeing on the field from him is reflected off the field. How important a figure in the dressing room he has become in such a short space of time. Mm. How respected, how liked. Uh, how much of a leadership figure even he is so swiftly. And that's pretty remarkable. And I think what he's showing on the pitch is pretty remarkable too. This was an electrifying home debut. And you can't even say you were too surprised because (laughs) from the minute he came into the team in pre-season, it's all just clicked. And... The one thing that I, I said this in my post-match video, but the one I, I think I underestimated what he would bring to Arsenal. Actually, I th- yeah, I think I did too. In the, in that, like, I was very pleased with the signing, and I could see, you know, the potential for a guy like him to come in and take responsibility and be the main man. But I didn't think it would happen quite this quickly. No, and and there were aspects of his technical ability that I think. I did not foresee, you know, I knew he was brilliant uh, off the ball, great work rate. I knew he had good movement, could finish, you know, good positioning in the Mm. box. The quick feet and the dribbling ability has taken me somewhat by surprise. There was one, wasn't there, in the first half where he just kind of jinked and went one way, came back the other way and put a ball across. Uh, There should have been somebody there at the back post. I think it was Gabriel, actually, um, Mm -hmm. centre-half Gabriel, who was there and who put his hands on his head because he should have made a move to that back post. I mean, but the dribble was incredible. And I think, how old was Jesus when we signed him? 25? Yeah, that's Uh, only a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's it's very early on, (laughs) okay? And and this is premature, but I am reminded of when Alexis Sanchez came to Arsenal from Barcelona, Mm. he was 25-2 at that point in time. And he had been an important player at Barcelona, but, you know, had been squeezed out effectively by big, even bigger signings and was never like the man there. And he came to Arsenal and just blossomed, really. Even though he was in his mid-20s, he found a whole other gear Mm. because he thrived on the responsibility from a sort of tactical perspective, but also a personality perspective. Yeah. And I think, although, you know, they're different characters, I think we might be witnessing something similar happening with Jesus where he's just in the right environment now for him to showcase his abilities. And it was 
it was thrilling, really, mm. to watch him yesterday. Oh, it really was. It really was. Um, I mean, before we just talk about his first goal, his his debut goal for the club, um, just a quick comment on his post-match interview when he um, spoke at the end. Yeah, and he, that was he, great as well. You know, he referenced Eddie in Kedia and talked about his quality and, you know, stressing that Arsenal have two good strikers. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. He could have talked about his two goals, his two assists. He mentioned the fact that he didn't get the, the third goal, which he obviously wanted. But I like, I like so much about him as... A character, and I know we've talked about this at length before, so I don't want to go into it again. But but clearly, there is something positive about the way uh, that he thinks, about the way that he integrates. You don't integrate that quickly into a new club unless you're sort of open to everything that's going on around you. You know, so I thought that was quite an interesting part of his his post match interview. But let's talk about the first goal because you know to to. To score your first goal for a club is really important. And we know he banged them in in preseason, but they, you know, they don't count in, in terms of official numbers. He didn't score uh, last week against Crystal Palace. And you do want a player to get off the mark as, as quickly as possible because, um, you know, pressure and media spotlight these days in particular can be pretty intense mm-hmm. if a player... Uh, in inverted commas, un- underperforms, you know, uh, based on expectations. But what a goal. What an incredible finish that was. And I said in the blog today, it just reminded me a little bit of Dennis Bergkamp in terms of all of a sudden, with very little backlift, the ball is floating through the air. There was a brilliant picture. I don't know if you've seen it. And Jesus is looking. There's about six Leicester defenders all staring at the ball as it goes over their head going, fuck. I know where this is going. Uh, it's just an incredible finish and an incredible first goal to get off the mark. And it kind of set the tone for not just our performance yesterday, but his individual performance too. I, I hate to say this and I I fear, I don't want to put a down or anything, but I have a suspicion it took a nick, that ball, on its way through off Johnny Evans's knee. But... I hope it didn't because aesthetically it was a thing of real beauty. I think it might have, but pff, let's not talk about it. <laughs> okay, let's not talk about that. We'll just edit that out. Just yeah. take that bit out. Yeah, no, I, uh, no it, it was a great goal and, you know, one of the, one that immediately had everybody off their feet. Mm. And it reminded me a bit of his goal in, I think it was in one of the Emirates Cup games where he picked the ball up on the left-hand side. Um, mm. I think there was a long diagonal pass and, you know... Worked his way into the box, a couple of quick one-twos. I think Granite Xhaka, of course, the penalty box presence that is Granite Xhaka. <laughs> uh, um, it ends up giving him the little layoff. Yeah. But yeah, the finish, the improvisation to, you know, whether or not it takes the nick or not, he's, still, he's attempting the same thing, bend it in the far corner and lift it. And yeah, it comes off perfectly. And just a great moment because, as you say, you get to three games, you get to four games, you get to five games. It builds a kind of pressure. Mm. He's just sort of killed that immediately. Yeah. Um, and he, his performance at Palace was really good. You know, oh. it, it, it's not like he was underwhelming, mm. but he got the, the, the rewards today and a, a great way to open your Arsenal account. I yeah. think uh, the previous incumbent of the number nine, Alex Lacazette, he opened his account against Leicester too. 
think, on the opening night of the season. So there you go, Leicester. Right. Leicester's a good team to play if you're a new number nine at Arsenal. Um, the first half, from an Arsenal perspective, was really dominant, I think. A um, yeah. couple of... They had... Fafana went through, didn't he, early on? Yeah, Shaka um, got caught in the ball. But it was a good save by, by Ramsdale. Yeah, came out Not well. much of a finish either. Yeah. No. And then there was the cross... I thought Ramsdale did well actually Ooh, to cut actually, that one. Actually, that was that was an important hand he got because I think Ben White had been he'd been sucked into the middle, and it could yeah. have been the was it uh, uh, two first names guy. Um, <laughs> two first names guy. Two first names guy was playing on the left. Uh, uh, James Justin. James Justin, of course. <laughs> yes. I don't know why um, he was in my head like that, um, but he was there. So it was a big hand from Ramsdale. So it's not it's not that Leicester didn't offer anything, but I think when you looked at the way the two teams were playing and the kind of football that we were playing and the kind of the way that we were attacking, and I know this is this was um noted in the the Palace game as well. The setup when we were in possession and Zinchenko comes middle and Xhaka goes wide of him is really interesting because I do I don't know that teams have quite figured out what that is yet, you know, and who they yeah. who they follow. And the fact that Granite Xhaka, like, I I didn't expect Granite Xhaka to make as many runs into the Leicester box as he did. And I'm almost certain that Leicester did not expect Granite Xhaka to make as many runs into the Leicester box as he did. Like, I, I think uh, over time, you know, teams will look at that and, and say, okay, well, look, we know Zinchenko's going in here. We know what Xhaka's going And they, they sort of adjust. And but that's how why- can you stop the goal-scoring instincts of Granite Xhaka, Andrew? I mean, Some things are irresistible. Look, he was very, very good. I thought he, yeah, was, he was. I thought the timing of his runs was good. I thought his decision making when he got into the final third was good. Um, there it's was a great w- run to the back post. Do you know when he hits the post with the header? Yeah, the um, Saka Saka cross. Maybe he should, you know, do better or go across goal. But it's a really nice cross and mm. a really good run arriving late at the far post. Yeah, and I said this during the game on Twitter, but I actually think the timing of his arrivals into the penalty box for a player who hasn't played that position a great deal is pretty good. I agree. I wonder, is it something that, um, like, is this an untapped natural talent that we didn't know anything about? Or is this something that they've really worked on in the training ground? I mean, Uh, he's a tactically smart player, so it may be that, you know, he just has good instincts. It may be that teams aren't prepared for it although I think if you've been watching Arsenal in the last six months you will have seen it more and more he's certainly uh, playing further forward than he used to that's for sure yeah uh, um, but yeah I mean do you remember Arsene Wenger many moons ago saying <laughs> yeah, he's a box to box midfielder turns some- out he was right all along <laughs> We did have some questions about that, actually. I saw a few of those. I mean, I, yeah, he's a guy, I think, who will follow the manager's instructions as well. Like, as of you course. say, he's tactically... Whatever they are. Yeah, yeah, whatever they are. Granite, do this. Okay, I'll do that, you know? Um, but I, I, I do think there was a lot to like about the way that he played, and he he gets an assist for the first goal um, for the pass to uh, just a light, little layoff for Jesus mm-hmm. to, to curl that ball home. Definitely not taking a nick off, Johnny Evans. Um, <laughs> and then, look, the, the second goal, thank you very much indeed, Jamie Vardy. It was a wonderful assist, flicked to the back post, and there was Gabriel Jesus, uh, Jesus to knock it home. Yeah, and you know what? You could say... There's an element of good fortune about that. But it's not like it's fluke that we play that corner low and flat into the near post area. You know, Thomas Partey's jumping 
about a yard away from where Vardy gets the nick. And it's clearly a plan. And our delivery, and particularly Martinelli's delivery from set pieces, has really improved. Yeah, um, we spoke about that, didn't we? The the, the yeah. quality of his delivery. It's like he's he's been working hard on that in, in training, for sure. Yeah, well, he's a player, I think. He seems like the kind of guy who's very conscious of his numbers and mm. started the season with some really good numbers. I, I think I saw Art Rochely saying, let me have a look, as of yesterday at full time, no team had scored more goals from corners in the Premier League than Arsenal since the start of last season with 15. All hail Nicholas Jover. Exactly. King Jover. But um, yeah, and, and Jesus, I mean, we were warned. I think Tim Steelman said the back post, he loves it. We saw that in pre-season two yeah. against Chelsea, I believe. He scored in a very, very similar area. So yeah, uh, you know, it's a, a fortunate element with Vardy who had a torrid first half for reasons we'll come on to but uh, good delivery and good positioning from Jesus on yeah. that post. So 2-0 it could have been 4-0 inside like 5 minutes because there was the, the the turn on Johnny Evans that we already spoke about and then there was another really good move involving um, Jesus Odegaard Martinelli Martinelli played him in and he took the shot on and I understand completely why he took the shot on he's on a hat-trick he's feeling confident he's a centre forward Saka was there for a little square ball Um across the across the box if he'd seen him but I do understand why he he took that shot on the keeper made a save but I mean two really really good chances within the five minutes of going 2-0 up as well yeah and I didn't think is it Danny Ward the Leicester goalkeeper he didn't have a great day but that was Mm. a good save from that one um so yeah I mean uh yeah he was just absolutely did you ever play a game on the PlayStation? I think it was called NBA Jam. And if a pl- if a guy scored like three baskets in a row, he would literally be on fire. Yes, like, I remember that one. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, He'd be yeah, like yeah. pixelated, but yeah. with flames coming out of him. That was Gabriel Jesus, that precise moment in time. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, he, he very, very nearly got the hat trick, but listen. Uh, it's good to leave somewhere to go. Yeah. You know, give yourself some room for improvement. Um, so... So very comfortable at that point in time, really. Yeah. And then a, a moment of jeopardy right before half time. Well, exactly. Ball played through and then Jamie Vardy went down. The referee pointed to the spot and they said penalty. And I was like, oh, this is, this is just a little reminder of how quickly things can change in a game of football. And then they said VAR was looking at it. And then they said Mike Dean's on VAR. And I was like, oh, God. Forget about it. But... The more I saw the replay, the more confident I was that it would be overturned because it was uh, it was a dive. There's no two ways about it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. That's who he is. And I'm glad this time that VAR, um, for all the complaints that we have about it, got the decision right. And I think it was right. There was no complaints from anybody else afterwards. I don't think I didn't obviously obviously I don't listen to what anything Brendan Rogers has to say after a game, but I presume he didn't have any complaints. I don't think anyone can. I mean. It, was, it got a big reaction in the stadium when they showed the replay because um, they did after the VAR had kind of, uh, you know, made its call. We got to see it and, yeah, big response from the fans. But it, it was a clear dive. And my question would be, why wasn't he booked? Yeah, same. I, I think I said that on Twitter. Where's where's the yellow card? Do the rules preclude that um, because, it's, because it's VAR? Get Dale Johnson, ESPN on the line. He's he'll the, know. We'll he's have a, the Twitter VAR man. He'll explain it. In 27 uh, tweet thread. <laughs> Threaded tweets, yeah. Um, I don't know. 
or is it like the referee being like, well, I thought it was a penalty, but you've made me overturn it, so I'm not going to give you a yellow card. Yeah. I honestly don't know, but uh, he should have been booked for it. You should. Clear simulation. Yeah. If Xhaka um, gets booked for his last week, then there's no reason why Vardy shouldn't get booked for that. Yeah, seems mad to me. Se- uh, second so half. anyway, but yeah. a big moment, you know, would have injected some mm. some unwanted jeopardy and it would have been a good time for Leicester to score. But they did score relatively soon after that. They did early in the second half. How do you view the, the own goal? I, I kind of feel, um, obviously it was unfortunate for Saliba, um, wrong-footed Ramsdale a little bit. Um, but I just think in terms of how we defended that move, I just wonder if Ben White could have challenged, you know, the ball that's headed on that Saliba eventually heads in. I just wonder if Ben White could have got up and challenged for that one because the guy had pretty much a, a free header. Yeah, I do think Ben White could have helped him out a bit. I don't think anybody really covers themselves in glory, but there is a, a sort of slightly freakish uh, element yeah. to the goal. What I would say is that Saliba has made a tremendous impression, but anyone who's watched him consistently would say if there is an area of his game to improve, it is his heading of the ball. And in that instance, I think he's trying to head it out for a, for a corner. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not a particularly good header. And uh, I'm a massive fan of the player, don't get me wrong. But he, he he does play a bit like a guy who was always the tallest guy all through the youth ranks and very well positioned, so hasn't had to compete in a huge amount of aerial duels. It's not his strength. And that's exciting, really, because you think with his physical capacity, with his power, with his mm. height, if he can improve upon the sort of technical aspects of heading the ball, then he's going to be a very, very complete central defender. Yeah, I suppose the thing is, like... W- yeah, look, I don't know that we need to go into too much depth on the own goal. What I think is much more interesting and much more encouraging is the reaction to yeah. to the goal because it could have put us um, in a nervy position. We, we have been known down the years to get a bit jittery when we let in a goal from a you know a, a position where we're in control, we're in command of the game. You're thinking we could score another one here. And actually, I think just before they uh, scored, the commentator was talking about, well, the next goal here could define this game and it needs to be a goal for Leicester. And then they scored. Um, Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers for that. But I... I, I Oh, yeah, I just uh, while I'm thinking of it, I, I really enjoyed uh, Matthew Upson on the commentary as well, talking about a deflection off Yuri Tielemans, who'd been off the pitch for about 20 minutes at that point. That was that was amazing. Didn't see much of him uh, in the whole game. To no, to we didn't. We, we might have a question about him in part yeah. two. But first, let's talk about the team's reaction, and then we can talk about Saliba's reaction and the reaction to Saliba, because I think they're both worth comment, uh, commenting on. Within 90 seconds, we scored again bit of a howler from their goalkeeper but we went up the pitch Ben White cross keeper spilled it Gabriel Jesus is there stabs it towards well who else but penalty box poacher yeah. Granite Xhaka turns the favour yeah. <laughs> Arsenal's made- new front two <laughs> combining beautifully yeah it was yeah. a great response and, and actually it started as soon as the as soon as the own goal went in mm. you know we've all seen Ramsdale ba- like screaming at defenders it, there was none of that it was like when Gabriel gave the ball away against Wolves, do you remember? And we conceded from that. Mm. Immediately, it was just rallying round, togetherness, heads together. Um, mm. People sort of slapping Saliba on the back, support for him. Uh, and and the t- and Odegaard, I, I remember seeing Odegaard 
talking to the other players, you know, energizing them, trying to get them focused. Uh, so it began as soon as the ball hit the mm. net and it ended 90 seconds later. And that was a fantastic response to a setback. And we've got to give props to the crowd as well because they played a big part in that. Sure, like the the reaction to Saliba's um, first touch. I think, I, I think I'm actually just watching it again here and maybe I can play it a little bit. Um, I'll see if I can play it through here. Because uh, this is Ben White going back towards the goalkeeper after that passage of play. And here's uh, the reaction when Saliba gets the ball. It's in Spanish here, so hang on. So you can hear that mm. that applause that, that that went through, and Arteta referenced it afterwards. And look, this is a young guy that a lot of people have invested in, invested in his potential. We've been looking forward to seeing him as a player. And the first setback in his Arsenal career is um, is reacted to like that by the crowd. And I think that is really positive, obviously. Um, I don't think he was particularly flustered. We know he's a very composed guy, but I think that sort of thing that when we're trying to build something, when you're trying to establish and maintain and grow a connection between the fans and the team, you know, the the reaction to something like that, I I, I don't really have the words for it. I think it's uh I think it's just so positive because there are going to be setbacks in a season. There are things that are going to go wrong. Um, and we've often wor worried and wondered about, does this Arsenal team have the ability to react in adversity when things don't go the way that we want? That, that's that been a discussion, you know, for some time now. And I think what we're seeing is, yes, they can. And also that a mistake isn't necessarily open season on the player who made the mistake it's an acceptance that this is football these are humans and if someone's trying their best and they make a mistake if you help them if you get behind them it's not going to fucking do anything other than um other than assist them if you know what i mean rather than think like oh fuck the crowd's on my back here i didn't mean to do that why well, they giving me grief for you know that kind of way it's just really yeah. really important i think well, I guess the clue is in the word supporter, right? Mm. But I, I think I'd like to think that any player who made that error would have received that reaction. But I'm. But what I do think is that my observation in the ground is that Saliba has very quickly become incredibly popular with the Arsenal fans. I mean, I think he was pretty popular before he arrived because there was mm. a lot of excitement and intrigue around him. But, you know, almost everything he did in the game drew admiring uh, gasps and cheers from the Arsenal fans. So mm. I think there is a very strong connection there already. And maybe there's a sense of which, you know, they really want him to feel at home, somewhere that he hasn't massively yeah, felt at home. I think that's, that's important. And, and like we've... we've um... And will, I suppose, have the conversation about his contract, which, you know, I don't think it's necessarily something we have to dwell on today, but making him feel like Arsenal is the club for him, yeah. if he feels that from the fans and he's feeling it from his teammates and he's feeling it from the manager, that can go some way to making 
uh, are having an impact on whatever decision he makes as and when that becomes a decision for him to make. Definitely. And listen, and I think it will have settled him if he was feeling at all disappointed or flustered or uh, flustered is difficult mm. to imagine, but disappointed. But it will have settled the team as well. You know, if you're playing football and something goes against you, a goal goes in the net and suddenly from the stands there's, you know, anxi- palpable anxiety, frustration. Of course, that impedes and affects the performance mm. of the team. And it speaks to the fans' affection for Saliba, but it also speaks to their trust in the team. I agree. Uh, uh, you know, the the sort of collective sense that if we stick to our game, then we will overcome in that situation and goals will go in. Things will go against you. There mm. will be mistakes, accidents, um, even sometimes bad defending. But if you if you can keep your composure in those moments and not let it swing the pendulum in the other direction, then you can still be in control. And Arsenal recaptured control immediately. And they did it twice. I mean... Yeah, it, it, was, it was a great response on, on both occasions mm. that Leicester scored. Well, that's it. I mean, Leicester did score again. Um, the second goal from Madison, um, I'm not sure defensively we were great. Uh, I think maybe Zinchenko was just a little too high up the pitch. He got back in, of course. But it's quite a straightforward overlap, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think Xhaka didn't track the run on of Madison. Maybe Gabriel could have got out a bit quicker. Um, I saw people talk about the, the goalkeeping on this one, but I'm not really sure what a goalkeeper can do in that situation. He can't stand there with his legs together because he needs to be able to move. It was a powerful shot from close range, tight angle. I mean, sometimes... Sometimes that happens. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't look good. Don't get me no, wrong. No, it doesn't and, look. And it I, never looks good for a goalkeeper when it goes through his legs. But like at the same time, unless he's got a third leg that he can drop down at fucking half a well, second's I think he's notice, got pants to keep that all tied up. But <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I think. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it's one of those where if you pause it at the moment Madison takes the shot, then Ramsdale's in the right position. Mm. Like. You know, he's aware that he could be across. He's spread, so he's covering the goal. Probably the only place Madison can score, unless he roofs it into the top of the net, is through Ramsdale's legs. And as much as I don't like giving credit to James Madison, I think he picked a pretty smart shot in the Mm. circumstances. And also, I reckon probably eight times out of ten, Ramsdale closes his legs, it comes off them and comes out the goal. As it happens, it comes off the back of his heel and goes into the net. Yeah, I don't um, think I don't think it um Yeah, it's just a perfect I think if I was looking at that from if Arsenal had scored that goal, I think I'd be talking more about the finish than the goalkeeper. Probably that's what Leicester fans are talking about. And Madison certainly owed Ramsdale one after what happened last season at, mm. at the other stadium. But I think um uh, I mean, I will say, do you remember when um, England scored, Russo scored the brilliant backheel goal for England in the World Cup? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember Ramsdale tweeted afterwards, said, um, stay clever, keep your legs together. And I thought, I oh. wonder how long until that comes back to haunt us. <laughs> two games, it turns out. <laughs> Just two games. Um, well, Because it went through the keeper's legs. But yeah, I, yeah, it, it's, it's a smart finish. Um and one that's sort of embarrassing for a goalkeeper, but I'm not sure it's a clanger. 
I'm not. He's no. certainly not in the David De Gea range. No, Jesus Christ! Not even in the same ballpark. Holy shit! That was soft. That looked. That you know, if you didn't know better, you'd say that's a bit of a grobbler, you know. Um, but there you go. Um, Wait, what are you saying, Anna? Never got- <laughs> <laughs> we start <a> conspiracy. <laughs> um, so they scored, and again, reaction. Reaction immediately. Straight, straight reaction. Again, what a goal this was. Oof. Uh, look, Martinelli has been absolutely brilliant this season. The intensity with which he plays, he tormented Fofana yesterday. Um, he's so strong now. His physicality is is really something. And I did I say this to you, or was it on the other um, Arscast where I sort of had a um, we were thinking about talking about top scorers maybe yeah i think you said maybe him for second yeah i think that's what it would be yeah it was like the question was like they're paying out on that now assuming (laughs) assuming jesus is the top scorer who would be your second i think i picked um i think i picked martinelli what a goal though i mean by the way go on in absolute seriousness i thought it was granite shaka because it, from where I was sat behind the goal, I just saw a left foot shot struck mm. with that ferocity. And obviously, Shaka being the goal scorer that he is, yeah, yeah, I, I just assumed that he'd bagged a second. Yeah, it was a great hit off his weaker foot. It was, but like he started the like Leicester had the ball in midfield. He chased back, won it. Mm-hmm. We moved the ball forward. He got to the edge of the box. Uh, took the pass from Gabriel Jesus and and whacked it in. I mean, it's a great finish. I think it's a very good finish in off the the far post. You could talk about the goalkeeper maybe, but when it goes in off the the post, you know the the keeper's got basically all of his angles covered. He's got to cover his right hand side, his left hand side. So there's always going to be a gap. And when the ball goes in off the post that way, I mean, that's absolutely finding the gap with with the finish. And he deserved a goal, one hundred percent deserved a goal. Yeah, and I think. You know, I saw some people after the game say, oh, Martinez is a bit unlucky, really, because if Jesus wasn't there, you know, putting in these performances, then he'd be getting all the limelight. And I, I would sort of counter that and say, I'm not sure we get this Martinelli without Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I think they are helping each other enormously. And they do seem to have really good chemistry. So it's a very, very mm. interesting partnership. I think. No, I agree. I agree. They 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 dovetail very well together and and if you're a Premier League defense and you're looking at Gabriel Jesus and you're looking at Gabriel Martinelli and you're playing on the right-hand side, uh there's a lot to worry about there in terms of the movement, the relentlessness of the way that they uh, they press, the physicality of Martinelli. Um, you know, Fofana's a, a good defender, but he bullied him off the ball a couple of times. I think they got a couple of generous free kicks when maybe the referee sort of was a bit kind to Leicester in, in their own half. And, um, you know, what's Martinelli got now? Two goals and an assist so far this season, is it, in... in um in two games. Mm. So, you know, numbers, we're looking, um, and I said this before the start of the season, I'm just looking for the numbers from him, the end product numbers, I mean, to to increase. And, you know, what, it's a great start, a great start to the season for him and, uh, and for us, obviously, as well. But, you know, on an individual level, I think um, we, we could be about to see this guy go to a different level. Yeah. And, you know, the fourth goal was, I think, the least we 
deserved. There were a couple yeah. of other chances. Jesus again could have had a hat trick. That one came at him on his left foot. Yeah, and yeah, came yeah. Off the post. Um, that was after a Saka shot had been saved. Yes, that's right. So you know we did have other threatening moments and a couple of subs. You know, came on to kind of keep the energy levels up. The fullbacks. Uh, did we change both fullbacks? We did, yeah. Ben White came off. They were saying that Ben White had a bit of an injury, so Tommy Asu came on. But I mean, how nice is that? Tommy Asu comes off, or Ben White comes off, you bring on Tommy Asu. Mm. You take Zinchenko off, you put on Kieran Tierney. Um, you add uh, Emil Smith Rowe for Bakayo Saka. You know, there's a lot to like about that kind of depth. And I know we've got to make sure that we keep everyone as fit as possible, but. This is what I spoke about last week when you're in the middle of a game and you're thinking, okay, how do we change it? How do we add something? How do we replenish a certain area? And, you know, those are hugely positive changes, good quality, good depth. And, you know, once we scored that fourth, I don't think there was ever any way back for Leicester. No, I don't think so either. Um, And, you know, Vardy came off. I think Tielemans came off. They sort of knew the jig was up Mm. once we got the fourth. Um, so yeah, just a really positive afternoon. And I think every Arsenal fan, if you'd offered them a 2-0 win or a 4-2 win, would have taken the 4-2 because what we've wanted to see is the unlocking of the team's attacking potential. Mm. And there were glimpses of that against Palace, but we did it much more consistently in this game. Um, and we, I thought we were really fun to watch, you know, and that's obviously a massive part of why any of us are tuning in. Yeah, no, I think so. And and that, that fun element was was evident in um the noise inside the stadium. And you can obviously testify to this a, a great deal better than I can, but I can tell you that on the the television coverage on the, the stream that I had it looked like fucking great fun. And everyone in there was having a great time, you know, in the last 10, 15 minutes. Uh, the songs were being sung. The stadium was noisy. You know, everyone could see that three points were coming. And and it's not just the fact that you're going to win a game. I think everybody who has looked at this Arsenal team and, you know, who's followed this team closely over the last however many years it might be, you can see that something is happening. You know, mm-hmm. there are still obviously things that we can improve on there are always going to be bumps in the road there are always going to be things that that you can do better but part in my opinion and you can tell me if i'm wrong here the part of that atmosphere yesterday is like a continuation of the good things we felt about last season the the optimism that preseason uh, brought in and and the sense that things are improving in a very cohesive way. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't really add any more to that. I mean, I think mm. we're seeing exactly what we would have hoped to see. Um, and our, yeah, our belief in the team is being rewarded and justified at this point in time. Mm. And that, that uh, as a supporter, it, it's that unity between players and fans that is particularly sort of heartwarming mm. really and and I think actually an important foundation to have in place you know because there will be difficult times ahead there will be defeats but uh that belief is so key and mm. right now we've got bucket loads of it yeah 
Well, look, a great a great win and a great way to continue this start to the season. And when you look at some of the fixtures ahead, I'm not getting ahead of myself here by any stretch of the imagination. You know, you can't take anything for granted in the Premier League, but we've got a, a decent run of fixtures. And I do feel like the first half or the first part of this season could be quite important because of, you know, what's happening in the winter with the World Cup and the impact that might have on players as and when they come back. Um, so making sure we continue this will be will be hugely important. So um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we head into part two? No, actually, I think we've okay. covered it all. Let's do part two. All right. Well, let's take a little break here. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Cognizant James of the stats that were skewed very much in uh, my favor from last week's show. I hand you the honor of the first question. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind. Um, let's have this one from Robert Moore Official. It's the official Robert Moore. Not the fake one. We don't like no, that. No, at fingers. Roberto Moore, confusingly. Right. And there, Robert says, Goodly morning, Zinchenko. Oh, as important a signing as Jesus. <laughs> he seems to be doing a fantastic job of his own, as well as liberating Shaka somewhat. Well, I really like him. I think technically he's very, very good. There was one brilliant little... Was it a flick, sort of through the legs flick down the, the left-hand side? Thing, yeah. Drag backy flick thing. That's the official term for it. If you yeah, do, it's... What, well, the coaching staff yeah, call it. Drag, ba- drag backy flick thing um, on the left-hand side. I mean, look, he is just uh, technically a very, very good footballer. To say, is he as important as Gabriel Jesus? It, I don't know that we could say that. Maybe you could be kind and say we can't say it yet, depending on how many goals Granit Xhaka ends up with this season, of course, when Granit Xhaka uh, becomes the top scorer. But look, he is playing a particular role at this moment in time. What it's doing for Granit Xhaka, maybe against opposition like Palace, like Leicester, is very interesting. Um, we're getting something from Granite Shacker that we didn't really get before, which is not something I thought I'd say to you. I think we kind of all would have said, well, we know what Granite Shacker is. We know what he does. We know what his strengths are. We know what he can do. We know what he can't do, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't really think, I said this in the first, I didn't really think he could do what he did yesterday to the, um, to the extent that he did and with the 
uh, effectiveness mm. that he did. Um, but I, you know, I don't think you can say uh, as yet that that he's going to be as important as Jesus because I think Jesus is a signing that Arsenal have needed to make for at least a year, maybe two. Um, and we know why it didn't happen, why it couldn't happen for various reasons. But he's sort of a next-level player, but clearly Zinchenko is helping too. There's no two ways about it. He's he's bringing something to the team straight away. Um, and I'm so curious as to... I'd really love to know what it's like on the training ground with these two guys, with with, with the young players, with some of the young players that we have, and, and what they're bringing in terms of mentality and their, uh, you know, their desire to help the team and do do the job that the manager is asking them to do. Um, I think that I think that aspect of their arrivals is, you know, we've talked about it, but I, I do think you need intangible things to give you tangible things on the pitch. Absolutely. They're, they're linked. And I spoke about this last week, but when you go to a ground like Selhurst Park and it's intimidating and Palace have, you know, a, a decent shot on goal and the fans get behind them mm. or when you're 2-0 up against Leicester and then they get one back. The fact that we've signed a couple of players who've come from the champions of England you know, when Man City are in those positions and those things happen, mm. they're not particularly flappable because they just have such sort of consummate confidence in what they're doing and such clear focus. And to effectively port that in mm. to the club is incredibly helpful, yeah. especially, especially for players who've not been in those positions before. And I do think sometimes we forget that so much of this team being at the kind of bit, the business end of the table, the top end of the table is new to them. You mm. know, Saka and Smith Rowe, they're, they're relatively inexperienced players. You know, they're, they're in their formative years of their career, people like White and Ramsdale were not accustomed to playing at this level. So bringing mm. in proven winners who know the Premier League, I think it's just hugely valuable. And it turns out some of these guys at Man City can really play. I mean, is that can we go back to them and be like, "Have you got anyone else you want to get rid of?" Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you got if you've got one or two more, yeah, I wouldn't we'll mind take, them. Yeah. Um, if you decide you want to ship, if Kevin De Bruyne becomes surplus to requirements, do let us know. But I, I, yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot to be said for acquiring people from a winning culture, and and I think if they can transmit that to the rest of the team. Yeah then that'd be fantastic. But I agree with your broader point. Zinchenko's been good. His footwork and his technique are outstanding. And I think some really interesting things are happening on the left side of the pitch in terms of interchange positions. But I think it's a stretch to say as important as Jesus just because Jesus has transformed our mm. front line and it's been something we've been crying out for. Yeah, I agree. Um, this one comes from the Discord from Ivanson or Evenson. He says, has your view towards individual mistakes changed after watching All or Nothing? 
multiple times Arteta said that mistakes will happen. He doesn't care about them. And the players need to support each other, be that a red card or an own goal. And again today in the interview regarding William Saliba, could that explain why Shaka's infuriating blunders never affected his spot in, in the first team? Um, but but that, that uh, first point about how you view individual mistakes, I'm quite curious about. Yeah, and we had a few questions like this. I think on the Discord... Why is Mark said did Saliba receive the support he did due to the values Arteta spoke about in All or Nothing? Uh, the 44 movement said it evidently empathetic reaction to the Saliba own goal. It feels more and more like All or Nothing was a PR masterstroke. Mm. I, I wonder, I think it could be an element. I think humanising people is always good for that. I said to you on here, I think a few weeks ago, that someone had said to me, oh... You know, watching the documentary, it's made me think about how I talk about the players and how mm. I express myself online about the players. And I was thinking, you know, if, if if it does have that impact, I think that's a good thing. But I think ultimately it's part of a bigger picture and our feelings towards the team and the manager are generally quite positive at the present point in time. If Arsenal were on a losing run, and somebody headed the ball past their own goalkeeper. And the mood was flat. You know what mm. I mean? Like, I, I think results in football are ultimately what determine almost everything. Yeah. And, and I think when you're getting good results and a setback happens, as a player, as a fan, mm. you're, much, you're in a much better position to deal with it. The bigger test is when things are sort of regularly going against you. Sure. Can you keep your head and keep your faith and keep your support in those times? Sure. And I guess that's a test that's still to come. Yeah, I think so. Look, I think the reaction to the Saliba thing yesterday was, uh, as well, he's 21. It was only his second game for the club. He was so yeah. good on his it's first game. It's a lot about game. him. It is a well. lot about him. Of course it is. But I, I also think it does tap into that wider... Um, feeling that people have about the team that they actually want to get behind them and they want to support them and they're a nice bunch of good bunch of lads and I think what what you most people can see the difference between an honest mistake and a player who's done something because they're just too lazy or too stupid to to learn you know and we've had too many of those players down the years where you think oh he's done that again oh he's done oh look you know without naming any um, names or anything. I think everyone can uh, think of a player or two who might ha have done stuff like that. So like a mistake, okay, these things happen, but the same mistake over and over again, like your tolerance level gets pretty low pretty quickly. Um, but I do, yeah, it is about the wider mood. There's a positivity around the place. Um, Saliba on an individual level is someone we all want to see do well and succeed and also as part of as part of this team but yeah look i i i think what the manager said about mistakes in the dressing room in the documentary etc is probably the right way to do it you know if someone makes a mistake you support them i think there was one where he talked about was it gabrielle in the the wolves game yeah you know we make a mistake we've got to support him we've got to help him you know that kind of mindset um, and that and that is, as I said, part one, exactly what happened on and off the pitch with Sleepy yesterday. Yeah. And it was really good to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like by the way, I, yeah, I, I, I spoke about um, 
Saliba's heading of the ball. And I, I do, I, you know, f- for balance, I want to say that pretty much everything else he's doing at the present time is exemplary. And, you know, it, it gives you such confidence when a ball is launched. You know, Arsenal often defending with just two centre-backs, really, mm. and the, the full-backs tucking into midfield. The ball is launched on a diagonal, let's say, into the channel. And it's a one-on-one race mm. into the channel, you know, against either Saliba or Gabriel. And I felt so secure in all those situations that they would kind of, yeah. you know, get there first, out-muscle the man, knock it back to the keeper, have it under control. Um, they do inspire a lot of confidence. And again, to bring in the United comparison, I was watching, you know, Maguire and Martinez, you know, trying to get out to the channels and deal with some of Brentford's attacks and really, really struggling. And we do have two very, very promising central defenders Mm. in the team right now. I did like D Smith referring to uh, Martinez as Frodo Baggins on the Discord. That was quite. I funny. mean, honestly, I said it on Twitter. But <laughs> from a distance, it looks like Lucas Torreira is playing centre back for Manchester United. <laughs> they got similar sort of, you know, yeah, their, yeah, their yeah. silhouette is very similar. I'm sure Unai Emery would have tried that eventually. Yeah, um, he got there in the end for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've mentioned about things Arteta says mm. uh, on the documentary. The one I can't get out of my head at the moment is the one at uh, the Forest game, the FA Cup defeat. When I lose a duel, I am upset. <laughs> that one. Yeah, I love that. I used that yeah. at the end of the Arscast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he can barely speak as well. He does his voice in, in his first voice half. crazy. He's just like, come on, guys, we got to go do this yeah. today. When I lose a duel, I am upset. to Gollum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I lose a duel, I am upset. Um, guys, guys. <laughs> Sorry, Mikel. Sorry, we're trying to keep it positive here. We, but we, Which, we love you. It's Whatever. all done with, with love. <laughs> um, this, I thought, was an interesting question from the Discord. Right. It's from Harry GJ. Harry says, Morning, gents. That's not the interesting bit. Right. Um, do you think the pre-season slash early season form of Martinelli may have seen us have a slight shift in transfer plans. And if so, do you think that should be the case? We were being linked with Rafinha, who many believe would start on the right with attackers swifting to the left and Martinelli maybe being dropped. Um, now we're being linked with the likes of Jeremy Pino, who seems like more of a development player and not a nailed-on starter. Do you think there may have been a change of plan? Mm. And if so, what are your thoughts? Did you see Edu got on a flight to... Valencia this morning? Did he now? He did. Ryanair even tweeted about it. Um, he's on that's a, not... Uh, he, I will... Uh, that's very interesting. He's yeah. on a Ryanair flight to Valencia this morning. He's made a couple of trips to the continent in the last week. He was... Uh, he, he's been mm. in and out of the London airports um, on multiple occasions. There so, was... I mean, look, I... I, I <sighs> I don't mind a bit of footballer slash football executive Instagram action, but I'm not going to go follow Edu's wife on Instagram to find out where he is or what he's doing. But I did see, um, you know, Arsenal Twitter and Arsenal, the online community will find um, all of it. So there was, a, I think, a thing on on Reddit, our Gunners, um, last week about Edu 
being in Valencia as well with uh, with his wife. Uh, he seemed to be having a nice time there. And he's heading back there again. So whether it's for Jeremy Pino or somebody else, uh, I don't quite know. Maybe he's just gone. That's where they're on holidays. He's gone back to um, to pick up. Possibly uh, he's got the family holiday. there. I don't, yeah. Exactly. I can't comment. I don't know so, that. I don't but know. I know that he's been back and forth to the continent this week. Mm. As for the transfer plans changing, I mean, I suppose it has to change. If you're going after a Rafinha, there aren't too many of them around. So it probably yeah, he has was quite changed. a sort of um, unicorny player. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they really loved him as an individual. Mm. I, as for Martinelli's form changing the plans, I don't, I wouldn't say that. I don't think so because they would have been hoping for this from Martinelli, right? Um, yeah. I don't think they'll be there going, ooh, Martinelli's doing this. Well, maybe we don't we don't have to bring anyone in. I think they, they want to bring someone in. Um, maybe the implication is that uh, do we need someone? Martinelli could play on the right if we need him for Saka, but I think he's doing so well from the left that you'd be mad to you'd be mad to take him away from that area of the pitch. I don't think that what Martinelli is doing or what Jesus is doing or what Zinchenko is doing will have any impact on what they still think this team needs and what they would like to do before the end of the transfer window if they can do it. I think it just would um, augment the squad in a way, in a really positive way, because the season has started so brightly. So I, I still think there's probably real clarity behind the scenes about what they would like to add to the team and to the squad. But what's happening on the pitch is just what they would have been hoping for. So, uh, you know, similarly, if we lost the two games, I don't think the the plans would be changing that much. Um, if they believed in what they've got, thankfully that's not the case. So, no, I don't think so. Do you? Um, I don't think it will. I think that for us as fans, it's kind of reassuring that the players in those positions are performing. Mm. I think it's in our nature to, when things go well, try to find fault. And I read some people saying, oh, is Saka playing that well or blah, blah, blah. You know, we're talking a lot about the left, but not much about the right. Um, mm. I'm not sure I buy that at all. I still, I, I still think Saka's, you know, he had some big moments in the game and probably could have had a couple of assists if things had gone differently. Yeah. Do you mind me asking you a question then? Because we have one here from Lee Sadler on the Discord. He said, good yeah. morning, guys. Hope you're enjoying the sunshine. Are we seeing a Bakayo Saka that's still suffering from a bit of a hangover from a long season that took him well into uh, last June with England? He's not playing badly, but he just need, uh, seems a little behind when compared with the others. Does that make signing that winger the priority now? I think... Uh... I, again, I, I, just to repeat myself, I'm not worried about Saka, especially. I, I think, I, I think that he's had moments where he's looked really dangerous, and and like I say, but for a few yards, one way or the other. I mean, he created the goal that sealed the game at Crystal Palace. He put one on a plate, really, for Saka. Hit the post in this match. I still think he's making telling final third contributions. Yeah. I think it's more that our other flank is performing so well that it's kind of creating that scrutiny, but mm. I don't have any no. worries. Neither do I. And, and sorry to keep asking questions, but I got, you know, a few, or there were a few that I saw here. Um, 
Dahlgren says, do you think Martin Odegaard is being judged a bit too harshly since taking on the armband? I feel he's doing a great job leading the press in the opposition half and still carries the ball in important areas, yet I see him put under a lot of scrutiny after these two games. And I think the words two games are really important here. Like, I I didn't think he had his best game at Crystal Palace. I thought he was much better yesterday. Uh, He was involved in all that intricate stuff around the opposition box that we all like and love and want this team to play. I think he's right there and he's involved in that. Similarly, Saka, who, you know, was quiet compared to his own high standards when Martinelli does what he does, when Gabriel Jesus does what he does, and Saka, well, he doesn't doesn't get a goal or doesn't get an assist. I don't really have a problem with that when those guys are doing it. At some point, it's going to be the other way around. Saka is going to score and make the assists, and and maybe the other guys are going to be a bit quiet. And and I really do think two games, and we do remember that Saka was maybe a week or two behind his preseason preparation because he got some extra, um, he got mm-hmm. some extra uh, time off. Um, so like I've got no worries in that regard about Odegaard or indeed about uh, Bukayo Saka. Yeah. It's too. It's it's so funny, isn't it? As I said, results are paramount, and when you've won two games, uh, then I think a lot of people are happy to be like, "It's only two games." Mm. If you've lost those first two games, then the attitudes are dramatically different. Mm. But I, I think, yeah, I don't have any worries at all about either of those players. I think the the likes of Martinelli, Jesus, shining, and our attack looking so much more fluid and comfortable. I'd be curious to see if that could be achieved without Martin Odegaard in the team, even if it doesn't feel like his contributions are that telling. Mm. Um, I what was going to say? Oh, just to come back to the signings thing, I do think, as you say, that Arsenal want to add a wide winger, a forward type player, um, and I think they'll push to do that before the end of the window. Mm. The only thing I would say is that. I do think this administration have a a cautious, maybe cautious is not the right word. I don't think they want to do deals that they don't really want to do. So if they can't get a guy who they really think adds something and is the, you know, the right personality, the right mm. profile, then I do think there is a scenario where they could not do it. Um, well, we saw that in January, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did, and and I think they have a there is a little bit of restraint now where you know I don't think they'll do a panic buy. Um, so if they can't get one of their top targets, I don't think it's impossible that they don't add anybody. But I think if they don't, it would be for the right reasons. If that makes any sense. Yes, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I ask another one? I'm sorry. I've got these. They're, no, that's tra- good. Yeah, I'm yeah, just trying fine. to keep it coherent uh, or cohesive. We had one from 1.76 acres, uh, and this is again about transfers. And he said, "Is this run of form at the beginning of the season a potential boon?" relative to our efforts for the remainder of the transfer window, as in, might players who were uncertain about the current pro- uh, current project at Arsenal potentially be more intrigued seeing in real time what we're doing and how we're playing? Have our first two games opened up the possibility for players who otherwise might not have been certain about their interest in coming to uh, to London or, to, you know, to Arsenal specifically? Yeah, I, I think so. It can't hurt. If Eddie's out having meetings with people right now, it's a good time to be laying out the project. Yeah. Um, it all looks very attractive right now. Um, 
you know, God knows what they had to tell Martin Odegaard after we'd lost it, you know, to Chelsea and Brentford. <laughs> um, this is a much easier job. And I think that is really one of the most interesting things happening at Arsenal is is the kind of redefinition of the club, the redefining of the project. Mm. And I, I spoke about this before, but I think if you're a neutral coming to the sport now, coming to the Premier League now, I think Arsenal were a club that are really attractive. There's a really interesting dynamic there, an interesting team, full of young players, lots of promise, potentials get better, an engaged, passionate support, feels like a big club. And I think a lot of those things apply to players too. And I think, you know, if you if you watched Arsenal play Leicester, you'd think, well, I quite fancy playing in that team and for that manager. So, yeah, yeah. listen... Money talks at the end of the day and a lot of players will join clubs in dire straits if the money is right. Um, but uh, it can't hurt, can it? No, it absolutely cannot. I mean, I think if you're, you know, if you're a player, I'm not saying that we're going to be after the same kind of players, but I'd say it would be much more difficult for Manchester United right now to convince a top player that this is a club, even if it's in the doldrums a little bit, that is going in the right direction. Again, only two games. We know that. But I think what we're seeing here uh, at Arsenal is the continuation of 12 to 18 months of good strategy and very obvious strategy, so much so that probably even Gary Neville, when he stopped dancing with the Brentford fans, could admit that there is something, uh, you know, in the works here. So, but what is the strategy, Andrew? You know, I just don't see I what the plan is. Just don't see it, actually. Actually, now that you mention it, I don't see it either. It's hard. It's hard <laughs> I've got my hands over my eyes and I'm going, la, 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 so I can't hear anything. Yeah. Um, but I still don't get it. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, we had a few questions about the goalkeeper. Guna Craig on Twitter said, once you've rightly covered all the positives, can you discuss if you have concerns about Ramsdale's form, which looks to have picked up from the back end of last season? Do I have concerns about it? I don't think I do, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, players can always do better. Um, but as I mentioned, he made a good save. He had a good hand on the, um, the cross that we mentioned with, mm. uh, Billy two first names. Um, there was a great bit of distribution to Gabriel Jesus. There was maybe another one as well. Um, maybe was it to Martinelli? I can't quite yeah, remember. Yeah, down the left-hand side, yeah. You know, so I think he's just an active goalkeeper who is probably going to make a mistake or two along the way. But I don't really have any big concerns about him because, I've, you know, I feel like he fits into the team. And I also, I also feel like maybe individual mistakes going back to that particular issue won't feel as seismic when you're a team that is capable of responding and reacting to them in the way that we showed we were yesterday. Like, yeah, mis mistakes happen. Mistakes are going to happen. Yeah. That is a fact. Um, I, I actually don't... See, I'm not worried about his form at all, really, in, in this season. I think there were... I think he did have a definite dip in form in the second half last season. Um, but I don't think he started this season badly. I, I think... I, yeah, me either. He made pretty important saves at Palace. Arteta, I think, called him the match winner. 
Um, it wasn't his cleanest all-round game. It made had big moments. Two very, very big saves. Yeah, and I think in this game, there were definitely, as I said, I think Madison's goal is, you know, an embarrassing... It's always embarrassing for any keeper when you beat between your legs, but I do think there is something to what you were saying about he picked the perfect place to shoot. And I... Yeah, I think other than that, his distribution was good. I mean, very few goalkeepers in the league are as good with the ball, um, which is sort of mad, really, given that that was the main objection to his arrival that mm. has become, I think, the thing that is most apparent that he's effective at and good at. Um, I think, yeah, I think he's had, I think he's actually looks much more himself in the, these two games than he has than he did in the period at the end of last season. And I think his confidence is is higher. Mm. So I'm not hugely worried. There are things he can improve, do not get me wrong. And one, I think we saw maybe in the penalty incident. Like if I if I was his goalie coach and I was working on one thing, mm. it would be a starting position and his decisions about when he does and doesn't come. Sure. Um, when the ball is over the top or in behind. And I think part of that is a consequence of not really playing for teams who've held a high line. And if we want to play a higher line, then that's going to have to be a facet of his game. Mm. Um, so I do think that scenario, those decisions about... And it, it, listen, it's knife-edge stuff and it's quick decisions and that's what being a goalkeeper is. But like when he, when he hits a ball that gets a pass that goes wrong or something. I don't worry about that because they all do that. They're like even the best ones. Mm. And I think the activity is such an important part of who he is. I mean, when he got to that cross um, in the first half and tipped it away, I follow like fans of all teams on Twitter and there were some United fans watching our game and they were all saying, see, that's the sort of thing De Gea never does. We, you know, we need a goalkeeper like that who comes yeah. off their line and gets involved. And um, I mean, you know, De Gea is, I think he's a brilliant goalkeeper in some respects, but there are just things that he doesn't do. But is, isn't that the nature of a goalkeeper who comes off his line? Like you can have the guy who stays on his line, like the burned Leno, very much um, that kind of goalkeeper. De Gea is the archetype. De Gea, yeah. exactly, Ospina as well, a bit like that. But if you ask your goalkeeper to to dominate his box, or if that is his natural inclination, there are going to be moments where the timing is just a tiny little bit off. And actually yesterday when he came, he he made a split-second decision on the Vardy thing. Like you could criticize and say, well, he shouldn't have come for that. But at the very last moment, he pulled out. Yeah. And he made the... Um, the right decision in that split second, which could have True. gone the other way, maybe. And it happened but, against Burnley as well, didn't it? Last season, the way where there was one year where he came out absolutely clattered someone and was probably a little bit lucky. Um, but yeah, oh, I no, mean, no, I'm thinking of the away game where the pen was overturned. I don't oh, think I'm right about that. I can't remember. But wasn't but, there one yeah. outside his box in one of the the last? That games was one of the terrifying season? one last season, 100. Yeah, yeah, we just charged. It was we went full yeah. Fabianski in the FA Cup final. But yeah. that's it. I mean, I'm not saying there is no in between with an on the line goalkeeper and a, a, a goalkeeper that comes off his line. But I think if you accept that you've got a player or a goalkeeper who's going to act as a almost like a sweeper in some ways. And you involve him in your distribution and you say to him, look, get involved. Um, we want you to, uh, you know, to try and snuff these attacks out, et cetera, et cetera. There are going to be one or two that go wrong. That's 
that's just the way it goes. So yeah, I, I, I would rather have that style of a goalkeeper than the the guy who stays on his line and lets it uh, whiffle through his fingers. Uh, yeah, and I think it's much more exposing to play in that fashion. Mm. Like I think, I, I think it's more. <laughs> I think as a fan, I've said this many times. It's more stressful to watch because it's more risk incurring mm. ultimately. But I think you have to have bravery to play in that way. And 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 ultimately, I do think Ramsdale's passing and his comfort with the ball at his feet, um, even if it goes in and out at times, mm. is what's going to keep him in the team. I just think it's such a fundamental part of what Arteta wants to do. I don't see it changing. But I'm not... I think it, I think it may be a sense that people... I think maybe the dip in form at the end of last season might be... How, casting a shadow on his two performances in the league so far this mm. season, which because I actually think in preseason he was very good, and I think he's been mostly good um, in this yeah. one. Yeah, I, think I, so. I, I thought he, was, he wasn't. I wouldn't say it goes fast. He was good yesterday, but I didn't think he was uh, actively bad. I, I thought he was. You know, uh, he played his part. You know, like I said, he made that save from Fofana. He got that big hand on that cross. He, he distributed it well. So, I think that the thing is, when you're a goalkeeper, people are always going to focus on the bit which almost went wrong or or nearly went wrong because you know goals yeah. cost. And if I a, think if a midfield if a midfielder plays a pass straight to an opponent, um, you forget about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If the goalkeeper, it's a massive deal. Sure. And every ball that goes in the net there'll be a conversation about the goalkeeper, probably. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from your own support. So it is the nature of the role. It's incredibly scrutinised. And we've got a young goalkeeper who still has areas to improve. But, you know, he's got the number one shirt now. I, I, I don't get any sense that the... Uh, the sort of coaching staff's faith in him is no. under any threat. All right, here's one from Kunal Segal on Twitter, at Kunal underscore Segal. And he said, with two wins in two, do you think we should wait for the first defeat before praising the mental development of the team to see how they cope this season? Last season wasn't great with strings of defeats following wins. It's a crucial aspect to our season. That's a good question. I, I think, yeah, we've seen, but but... I do think that we've seen in game that they can respond. We saw that yesterday. Um, a defeat is a bigger test. And yeah, I, I think it's probably right to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, you know, one of the issues with this team has been that defeats have come in bunches at times. Mm. And you can't really afford that if you want to be challenging up there and in that top four you have to bounce back really quickly um i think arteta always does sort of manage to engender the the uh the bounce back but sometimes it doesn't happen quite as quick as you'd like um so yeah i think that is that is a good point mm. uh to make which we should be a little bit cautious in yeah our look we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it, it is yeah, yeah, inevitably going to happen. Yeah. again, right? The new Invincibles. I don't know what everyone's worried about. 38 wins. 38 wins. Yeah, exactly. At yeah, least 25 wins. We need to improve on the previous <laughs> season. I mean, in the spirit of this, I thought this was interesting. Oliver Adams on Twitter, uh, at OliverAdams88, said, Goodly morning, gents. Amazing atmosphere at the ground. It's a pleasure to be there. With all the feel-good at the moment, my question is, how good do you think this season can realistically be? Are dreams of being a dark horse for the title fanciful? 
Um, look, this might be the only time this season we can do this question. I know, so let's I do know. It. Look, there's the realistic part of your head which goes, yeah, it probably is a bit fanciful. Um, we've got a big gap to make up on, on Liverpool and Manchester City. But when you start with two wins from two, you score six goals, the football you play is really good. Why not dream a little? Like, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's realistic. Um, but why the hell not? Why the hell not? Just like, let your imagination run wild. Fast forward to May, and we're all having a great time. Open top bus parade around Islington. Everything's good. Um, look, I, I think you have to, as a football fan, well, you don't have to. You know, everyone's different. Everyone views things differently. Some people we know their glass is half full. Some people's glass is half empty. Some people don't have a glass at all. They just have a, a kind of um, refillable cup that they got uh, because they're concerned about the environment. But, you know, I always, at the start of every season, have a little kind of crazy dream about what we might do and how we might do it. And um, I'm not waking up from that dream just yet. I don't think it's realistic, you know, but I don't see why we can't improve on last season. I think we said that last week. Why not? And you can see that there are things um, that have have really improved with this team and, and they're fundamental things and things which I think if we'd had last season would have seen us finish in the top four. So why not? get behind the things that are good. We all can see that there are things that could be better. We all know that there are some flaws. Every team has its flaws and every team is, is going to have its ups and downs during a season. But right now I'm, I'm content to ray, uh, ride the wave of, of positivity on my surfboard of imagination. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> agree. I will say I'll slightly poo-poo it and say I, I don't think Arsenal can challenge for the title. I think I, I did say that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, how good can it be? I don't think it could get much better than finishing in the top four and winning the Europa League. And I don't think that's... We're not in a position where that's an unrealistic target. That's all I could say, mm. really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to set your ambitions as high as possible. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, obviously, that, that... I could set them higher than that, but I, I don't think that's hugely plausible. Whereas I think it's plausible that we could achieve those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be um, a, that would be a hell of a season. That would be a hell of a season. That would be massive, you know, yeah. for us in our position. It would yeah. be absolutely massive. Um, and to be honest, one of those things would feel pretty big, yeah, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, but I, I would happily take both. I will take both. If yeah. you're, if that's on the table, I yeah. will take it. Uh, MS on the Discord said, can we have a segment in every Arsecast Extra from now on where we exclusively rate the Gabriels in each game and who did best? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, big lap Gabby, little Gabby and middle Gabby. I, well, I mean, the two up top were fantastic. Um, I guess you'd have to edge... Jesus just ahead of Martinelli. Um, I thought Gabriel did better in this game. I thought I didn't think he had his best game at Palace, uh, and I thought he was better in this one. Mm. I'm still curious to see how it's all going to shake out with the defenders. You know, yeah, me just, too. I'm intrigued to see how that 
how yeah. that plays out. I'm, I'm intrigued, but entirely unstressed by it. Yeah, same, so, yeah. same. I did my ra- yeah, yeah exactly. I did my ratings for Arsblog News, and I think Gabriel Jesus Gabriel Jesus got nine point five. Gabriel Martinelli got uh, nine, and I think Gabriel uh, at the back got seven point five. So I think yeah, there's yeah. our they're the definitive. They're the def- uh, definitive ratings. Yeah, um, yeah. Have you got any more questions? Because I've either done mine or you asked them. Right, I do have a couple here. Go on then. Um, Giroud Enthusiast on the Discord said, could Gabriel Jesus microwave a burrito so hot that he himself could not eat it? <laughs> what, uh, when he, what, by putting it inside him? I, I, well, does he have a microwave inside him? Is, does this explain his I don't his know. I just, what, like, is, is the implication that he's fizzing with such uh, energy and radiation that, he can heat things up. I think this is a this is a reference to a Simpsons episode in which. Oh um, right, I've not followed it. Uh, we need Tim Stillman on here. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, I think it's uh, Homer asking Ned Flanders, "Could Jesus microwave himself a burrito so hot that he himself could not eat it?" But I think Gabriel Jesus is capable of of pretty much everything. Um, but I wouldn't microwave a burrito myself. Would you? Uh, like if never you got say a, never. if you got a burrito. Yeah. from your your favorite burrito place mm-hmm. and you had to bring it home and you were delayed on the way home would you then microwave that burrito or eat that burrito at whatever temperature it was I at? think I might microwave it oh. for a few seconds just to return it to its piping hot yeah. best okay see would I, you I, not? I would you I, eat, eat it eat it lukewarm room temperature if I felt like I needed more heat I think what I would do is I would heat up a pan. Oh, a pan. Cast iron pan. And I would put the burrito on the pan to ensure that I didn't then get a soggy tortilla. Because I think if you microwave it, you're going to get a soggy tortilla. It might damage the integrity of the wrap. Whereas if you get the, give it a little bit of uh, heat on the outside, you can get that nice little bit of crisp on there. This is the kind of in-depth analysis people listen to the podcast for. That's exactly it. Have you got a Tielemans question? You alluded to it. Do I? Uh, let me see if I can find what I did. You said that thing where you were like, well, we might have a question about that later. And everyone's going to be going, but where is it then? Where is it? Where's the Tielemans question? Uh, okay. We teased it, Andrew. We teased it. I know we did have one, but I can't find it here. Do, 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 do. Oh, okay. I found it. It comes from Tarv. And he says, did Yuri Tielemans play his way out of Arsenal's pursuit today? <laughs> Did or Granit did he play Xhaka, his way into Arsenal fans' hearts by did, not performing exactly in that was any the discernible thing. fashion? Yeah. Um, and when he came off, I think they were saying he wants to come here. He wants to come <laughs> here. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, listen, it wasn't a, a come and get me performance, was it? It wasn't. No. Uh, you know, look at me. I am Yuri Tielemans. I mean, if you had to pick a player out of Shaka and Tielemans on the evidence of this game, you would pick Granite Shaka. Um, now I know it's one game. I'm not doubting Tielemans' talent. I'm sure you know he's a very mm. good footballer. Um, I mean, there's nothing going on. There's been no bid. Mm. I've seen people saying things like, you know, oh, it's quite reminiscent of like the Ramsdale one, you know, where Arsenal left it till quite late. But they were bidding. Like, 
mm. there was dialogue between the clubs and they were trying to do a deal. My understanding is at the present point in time, Arsenal aren't trying to do a deal with Leicester. Doesn't mean they won't on, you know, the final day of the window go, here is £10, take it or leave it, punks. Um, but, yeah. Mm. And, and it doesn't mean they're not privately, you know, working on stuff on the player side. But between the clubs at the present point in time, it's all quiet. Mm. So make of that what you will. Either Arsenal are playing an incredibly clever game or they're not that interested in him. Despite the fact they appear to be very interested in him at the start of the window. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, I think the first time that we wrote that interest had cooled in Tielemans, um, we accompanied that by saying that his arrival might be linked to a possible departure of Granite Xhaka if that was to happen. And you have to say there is no sign whatsoever that Xhaka is going. Um, no. At all. No. In fact, I think I think that's out of the question at this point. So if that was true, and it was what we understood to be true, mm-hmm. then maybe that's changed things. But we will, we wait and see. I mean, I, I can say with certainty that Arsenal would like to add a winger. I can't say with the same degree of certainty that they are uh, going to add a central midfield player. Right. And I thought it was really interesting, again, Arteta made reference to Fabio Vieira playing in Granite Xhaka's position. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Because he said something along the lines of, well, when Granite Granite is there, he can do this. When Fabio Vieira plays there, he'll give us something different. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Anyway. uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I'm being completely transparent. I won't rule it out. Like, it could be that this is all a waiting game and Arsenal want to take advantage of Leicester's need to sell players to do business and they're going to squeeze them right at the death. Mm. Um or it could be that we're inferring too much and we should look at the fact that there's no dialogue between the clubs and think maybe the interest is not as is not is is genuinely not really there anymore. Yeah. Um I, I do think actually that Tielemans like he's a really gifted on the ball player, but there ha- if there has been a reservation about him, it's always been the off the ball side. Sure. Uh and maybe we saw a little bit of that yesterday. He so, was pretty quiet to be fair. I'm curious. I'm curious to see. I would I would like it to happen because I think he's a talented player and I think who who doesn't want more depth and quality, right? Um and I think it would be a probably pretty good price given his contractual situation. So I would like it to happen. Mm. But I've got no idea if it's if it's going to in the time remaining. Okay. But it, yeah, it could be an interesting few weeks. Final question for today from Aaron on the Discord. He said Keep your legs closed. That's my answer, Aaron. <laughs> Do you see the rabbit or the duck? What is he talking about? He's talking about the rabbit or the duck. Like it's the picture that you look at and some people see a duck and some people it's see like a rabbit. It's like the dress. Some people no, see... It's, oh my goodness. Hang on. I'm going to send you this picture. It's in I've just Googled or it. Nothing. Rabbit, duck, illusion. Yeah. It's what Mikel Arteta talks about. He's going, he's talking about how some people will see the duck and some people will see the rabbit. We need everyone to see the duck or the rabbit. I don't know which I've one prefers. I've not seen that bit yet. I've not right. seen that bit. Okay. So 
I see... What do you see? I see a really shit-looking duck and a kind of grotesquely misshapen rabbit. I see them both. Same. Like, I looked at it... My first instance, first reaction was rabbit. But then I was like, oh, it's a duck. But it's not really a duck. It looks more like a seagull. I I beg to differ, Andrew. It's exactly (laughs) like a duck. And there we go. This is what Mikhailatis is talking about. Yeah. Uh, No, I think now I've seen the duck, it's hard for me to return to the rabbit. Right. So I guess I'm more duck inclined. We know that, you know, I'm an ornithologist at heart. (laughs) I, I... Listen, I, yeah, I. What, so you think you sort of see neither? No, I see them both at the same time. It's like a drabbit or a rook. I don't know. A rook is. Do you know what it is? A, it's a rabbit with a beak for ears. That's what it is. Yeah. Let's be honest about this. It's a rabbit who's had his face punched in because it's all flat and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and so what happens? So at the end of the day, what? The bit we they haven't shown us of the doc, of all or nothing that's too sensitive is in Mikel Arteta's office where Arteta holds up a piece of paper to Aubameyang and says, "You see this rabbit?" and he goes, "No, what? boss, it's a duck." That's it. And that was the moment they knew <laughs> he had to go. Edu, <laughs> kick him out. Kick him out. He sees a rabbit. Fucking yeah. rabbits. Okay. Well, look, we're never going to agree on this. Or we're never supposed to agree on this. I don't know. Rabbits or ducks. Um, who gives a fuck, really? Who designed that? I don't know. Probably well, did someone draw a duck and someone went, that looks like a rabbit. Yeah, and probably. All these great things happen by by accident. Um, yeah, we're never going to agree. Just don't tell Michael Arteta. That's fine. He, he, I tell you what, he just keeps winning football games and we'll live with the fact that we're, you know, in duck rabbit limbo. How about that? I'm with you. I, I agree entirely. Okay. All right. Look, uh, I'm going to get this podcast out and up for everybody on this Sunday afternoon. As always, thank you very much indeed for being here. Thanks for downloading, subscribing, and all the rest. If you want to give us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, that would be great. We'd really appreciate that. Um, catch us during the week. We'll do stuff uh, over on Patreon. I'm sure we'll have something for you there as well. And uh, I guess that's it. Have a great day, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, love you. Bye-bye. <laughs>